Emergency services. Please, you gotta help me. There's this weird guy. Ma'am. Please. Ma'am, call us when you're dead. What the fuck? Welcome back, callers, to another episode of Call Us When You're Dead. I'm Keith. And I'm Ryan. And on today's episode, we are going to be covering the Gallaudet University and the Cogswell Hall murders. Ooh, those sound kind of interesting. Right. They are. So, Ryan, how are you liking your new chair? I am absolutely loving my new chair. I know the other day when we got them, like, we were in them for maybe, what, 30 minutes, and we had to stop the movie we were watching because we were falling asleep in them. Right. We we, we ended up both passing out. Yeah. Nap time. Nappity nap time. <laughs> I mean, do, you, do we have anything else going on? I feel like I know what tomorrow is. Yeah. Tomorrow is Ryan's birthday. It is. So if you guys get a chance, wish him a happy birthday. If you see him out, or if you just want to write into the podcast, you know, that he can say happy birthday. And then, it's our anniversary. It is. It goes, nothing, birthday, nothing, anniversary. It's a, it's a busy August every year for us, huh? It is. I feel like you did it on purpose, because you wanted the attention. Uh, no. Oh, lies. In uh, other news, we do have the t-shirts. So, yay! right, that is super awesome. They are going to be put into the post office first thing in the morning. So you guys should be getting them sometime this week. And we're, again, we're sorry that it took so long, but we, I feel like we've explained it over and over again and no reason to keep hashing that one out. Right. In the end, probably by the end of the week, you contest winners will have your custom-made t-shirts. Yes. Uh... Brian, do you want to do some shout-outs to some listeners while we're on that topic? Yeah, I love shout-outs. Yay, I love shout-outs, too. Shout-out to Linda C. Katie R. And Ashley C. Thank you guys so much for being callers. We would probably do this show if you weren't there, but it makes it just more special that you are. So, before we get into the case... I hope you guys sometimes just stick around for the, like, outtakes, because last week's outtakes for the first episode, those were hilarious. Oh, goodness. It's like we were we were off off recording for months and we forgot how to do it. Right. I think the best was just my, oh, my allergies. <laughs> you can even kind of hear it a little bit while we're recording now. Uh, the, like, I sound like I'm having a hard time breathing, and it was all from my allergies, so I do apologize about that. Oh, it's it is what it is. I don't I don't think it was that noticeable. I mean, I noticed it, but that's probably because it's me and I notice things like that. Yeah, so if you're enough. one of those people and you noticed it, suck it up. Anyway, Ryan, do you want to get us started in on this case? Sure. Awesome. Uh, similar to last week's episode, before we get into the case, we figured it would uh, be cool to share a couple interesting facts about Gallaudet University. I love facts. Facts are fun. They are what make the world go round. True story. Nothing else. <laughs> Just facts. There are going to be a few extra facts because this university is just so remarkable. If you are familiar with Gallaudet University, you probably already know why it's so remarkable. If you are not familiar, enjoy these fun facts. 
Founded in 1856, it came about when a postmaster general donated two acres of his estate in the Northeast Washington, D.C. to establish a school and housing for 12 deaf and blind and six blind students. The following year, that postmaster general persuaded Congress to incorporate the new school, which was initially called the Columbia Institution for the Instruction of the Deaf and Dumb and Blind. Goodness, that was hard for me to read because I feel like it should be deaf, dumb, and blind, not deaf and dumb and blind. Why are we even adding the dumb? Because that's what it was called back in 1856. And then they just laid it out there for you. Right. And they had to have an and between each one. Each one. Amas did not exist then. I'm sure they did, but maybe they were the dumb ones. Right. In 1894... The name of the college portion of the institution was changed to Gallaudet College in honor of Thomas Hopkins Gallaudet, who was the first superintendent's father, and through an act of Congress in 1954, the entire institution became known as Gallaudet College. Can we go back really quick? I have a question. What is a postmaster general? Good question. Well, after a a quick confirmation check, because I had a feeling I knew what it was, but I want to double check, but it's pretty much like the chief of the post office. Like, he's the big boss. He runs and makes sure everything goes uh, according to plan on the day-to-day basis at the post office. He's running around with extra stamps. Right. Licking them all. Does it have a stamp? Does it have a stamp? (laughs) Do you need the stamps? (laughs) There was five stamps on this one. It needed one. One. Gallaudet University was the first official college-level school for the deaf and blind and is still the world's only university in which all programs and services are specifically designed to accommodate deaf and blind individuals. That just is cool in itself. That is pretty cool because you would think, you would think there, number one, I would think there would be more, but two, that there is one. Right, yeah. You know, and it still affords these people that are deaf and blind the same opportunity as an able-bodied person would have. Right, yeah, yeah. So, to this day, the diplomas of all Gallaudet University's graduates are signed by the presiding U.S. president. That is super awesome. Right. I don't know if I would have wanted one, like, four years ago, though. (laughs) And then, like, can we skip a president? (laughs) Does it really count? (laughs) Right. I I just thought that was interesting, because during the research, it it started way back when... Uh, Grant was in office. Okay. I think there was only like five students that graduated, but then it's just been a tradition ever since, since they're located in Washington, D.C. We we haven't gotten to it yet, and we might not, but do they have a high uh, graduation rate? No, it's it's no. really, really okay. small. Okay. I mean, so that is kind of um, sad, but at the same time, understandable. Well, it, it's not that it's not them graduating, it's just the... The student body itself is quite small. Got ya. Famous alumni of the Gallaudet University include Shoshana Stern, who's had many, many TV appearances in hit shows like ER, Weeds, Jericho, Supernatural, and Grey's Anatomy, to list just a few of them. Another well-known alumni is Christy Smith. She was the first deaf contestant on the reality show Survivor. She finished in sixth place in her survive in her season of survivor the amazon 
I love Survivor, and I actually think I remember her. Yeah, that's that's why I put that one. Um, obviously, like there wasn't like too many like known, well known uh, alum because uh, the you know the right. There's not many. Right. Yeah, and, and I know we're both big fans of Survivor, and I was like, oh. Right, and if I if I remember correctly, I think she helped like teach crew and cast for that season sign language to talk to her. I mean, more than likely, considering she was in sixth place, and this was back when Survivor went thirty days 30, or thirty nine days or whatever. Thirty nine days, yeah. So and got nothing to do past time, so why not learn some sign language? Yeah. Side note for all of you <laughs> that like may not under remember Survivor or watched it, like they used to do like for, like forty days sometimes. Well, now they've gone down to we're gonna play for twenty five days, but we're gonna take everything away from you. Right. It's intense now. It's now it, good. Now it's like the Hunger Games. Right. We just haven't started the murder. <laughs> but there is murder here. All right. Now that we shared a few fun facts about Gallaudet University, let's move on to the case itself. Let's hop into that trusty time machine and head back to September 28th, 2000, where we will meet our first victim. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the time machine at all times. He was 19-year-old freshman Eric Plunkett. He was a friendly, outgoing guy who always had his dorm room door open so he could see all the people walking by. He would often invite others into his room to chat, hang out, etc. He also allowed people to borrow from his music and video collection. Eric and some friends, Thomas Minch, Joseph Messa Jr., and Benjamin Varner, all from Cogswell Hall dorm, meet up together one day at the cafe sharing stories, signing jokes, and they had all agreed to call their wing of their dorm the Wild Wild West, considering they were the, on the first floor west wing room of their dorm building. Now, I know we threw some na- more names at you to keep track of as we continue on with the story, but each one of them has some part in this case. Suspicion aroused when Eric missed a tutoring session. That is when fellow student from across the hall, Joseph Massa Jr., notified the resident advisor about the missed tutoring session and a foul smell coming from Eric's room. Foul smells are never good. Foul smells are usually never good. Like when somebody says, I think it smells like death, it's never a good sign. <laughs> never, ever, ever. That, that, that is a true statement right there. The RA used his master key to gain entry into Eric's room. And there he found a lifeless Eric on the floor with a pool of blood surrounding his head. The RA immediately notified the authorities. When you hear master key, do you think of like the skeleton key? Yeah, the the key just has a skull on it. Yeah, and they're just... (laughs) I work everywhere. I am everywhere. I am Zool. (laughs) When the police arrived, they began their search of evidence within Eric's room to try and piece things together. The scene was horrific. Clumps of Eric's blood, hair, and scalp were all over the room. There was also a banged-up, bloodied chair in the room as well. The police believed that to be the murder weapon. The autopsy confirmed the cause of death being blunt force trauma to the head. Eric had also sustained multiple injuries on his head, lower back, and face. Sadly, there was a lack of evidence to point to whom the killer was. So, the police had to do some good old-fashioned detective work to solve this case. You mean they had to do their job? They had to do their job. It just wasn't like, hey, I'm the killer, he's not standing in the corner waving at them. 
Right. Or sign it. I mean, right. And that, that would be, that would be nice if that's how that worked being a police detective. I mean, like, oh, well, I mean, they sure do act like it. (laughs) And it began with questioning the potential suspects. Of course, questioned Joseph Mesa Jr. being the one that he called it in. He called it. Well, well, he told the RA and the RA called it in. But yeah. Yeah. He essentially called it in. Right. Yeah. But they focused more on Thomas Minch. After being tipped off that Eric had a romantic interest in him. Why do I feel like there's some anti-Semitism to this? Oh, man. Because there may be. Oh, okay. Thomas said during the interview, with the assistance of an interpreter, quote, We were really good friends, but never were close, like best friends. But I had no type of an intimate relationship or any type of interest with him. And later stated, quote, Eric had invited me to come to his room just to sit and chat and he was trying to make some moves on me and i told him wait a second we're good friends i would rather not go that far and he kept just trying to push it a little bit end quote i'm sorry did eric sexually assault him or was thomas able to like stop the advance i i wouldn't say it was, it was sexual assault i think uh just when, sexual advances that he... Yeah, I, I imagine, like, okay. you know, be, someone being drunk at a bar and someone's hitting on someone and they're like, get away, but then they're... Stop, I'm pers- not interested. Right, and then yeah. they keep trying. Okay, okay. Because I was like, oh, God, is this, like, was somebody a little justified in, like, their attack on Eric? Like, was this Thomas that, like, attacked Eric and it was justified? <laughs> Self-defense? Right. With that interview and other statements made by Thomas Minch police decided to arrest him and charge him with second-degree murder. I feel like we went a little quick right to the he did it. Right. No, I, I totally I totally agree. And and again, it's just based on the interview and what uh, other people's told detective and, uh, and some of the research uh, I've seen that Thomas may have uh, shoved Oh, Eric, Eric away at one point? Right. I mean... If I was in Thomas's shoes and somebody was doing that to me, I think I'd be like, I told you once, stop. After that, like, I don't know, is it a little justified at that point when they won't stop that you kind of push them away? Yeah, I I think so. No means no, and if you don't get the hint. Sometimes you just have to, like, I'm not saying result to violence every time, but if they're coming on and coming on and they won't stop, sometimes you have to be like, okay, well, I'm going to knee you in the nuts if you don't stop. Right, right, yeah. Or if you're a girl, sometimes you just got to punch him in the cooch. Punch him in the tit. Just a titty punch. Titty punch. I can imagine. I feel like that would really hurt. (laughs) Just maybe don't fucking sexually assault people. And number one and two, no means no. All right. And three, use violence as a last option. But if you have to, knee him in the nuts, smack him in the tit. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. We are equal opportunity around here. (laughs) However, at the arraignment, the U.S. Attorney's Office opted to drop the charges, stating that there was insufficient evidence. No shit. The detectives on the case were not happy about this and believed they just had to work harder to get the evidence to prove his guilt. Thomas remained the chief suspect in the case. I have so many problems with that. Yeah? Like, (laughs) I'm, I'm so sorry. I feel like we divert almost every single paragraph right now. So, you're telling me... They're like, hey, there's not enough evidence. And then the detectives are like, well, I mean, like, I'm sure we can find more. Right. Not, hey, let's move on to the next person. (laughs) Maybe that fits a little better. Like, I don't know. 
maybe the fucking dude that called it in because I haven't heard shit about him. <laughs> yeah, the detectives definitely had their uh, tunnel vision going. And they were putting those blinders on hard. Minch, Minch, damn Jew had to have done it. <laughs> I feel like that's what they were saying. So with the speculation and rumor mill doing its thing, the school decided to suspend Thomas from Gallaudet University indefinitely for the safety of the students and for Thomas himself. He's not guilty. Supposedly, he was receiving threats against him from the students who believed that he did have something to do with Eric's death. I mean, like, it's really shitty, but at the same time, it's understandable. You got you got to think, you got students who are hating you because they believe... So the believe- school thinks it's okay to go, hey, we're going to suspect, we're going to punish you. You didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to punish you instead of handling these other students that are being the people that are having the death threats. Like, they are the ones who... That's why there was such a long pause out of me, because I could feel the soapbox being <laughs> built. They're the ones that are doing the wrong. Not Thomas. Thomas has been proven that he, yes, he is a suspect, but they've decided there isn't any evidence against him to prove that he's done this. As the school board, as whatever you are at that point, it is your job to protect Thomas, not side with whoever and go, oh, we know there's no evidence, but Thomas is the one that did it. No, you punish those students that are threatening him. They're the ones that deserve to be suspended and kicked out of the school. Not this boy who has nothing to do with it. I mean, I I, I totally agree. But apparently Gallaudet went with the doing the easy thing rather than the right, right thing. thing. Oh, God. I'm you. Okay. So earlier you told me like, hey, had we not had our season finale, this would have been season finale worthy. Definitely a contender considering I haven't gone through any of the other ones. But right. out of the two we had. Right, and we know the last one. I can see why you thought that, because there is so much just to unpack with each paragraph that you've wrote here. I'm sorry, y'all. This is going to turn into a long one. <laughs> so bear with us. So, by the time Christmas arrived in 2000, the police were unable to build a sufficient case against Thomas. That didn't stop the officials, though. By February 2nd, 2001, Thomas was in front of a grand jury, explaining himself again, trying to prove his innocence. The following day, the grand jury would dismiss the case altogether. Now Thomas could start trying to rebuild his life. Hold the fucking phone. No evidence. We still put him into a trial? Uh, had to speak in front of a grand jury. Why? There's no charges against him. To have him state what he was... His innocence? State his um accounts during the interview because the detectives were very persistent saying they got a confession during the interrogation. Even though, you know, with sign language and interpreter, Thomas insisted that he did not confess to the murder while detectives are saying, yes, you did. And it's based on, I guess, what the interpreter said he said. It's real shady shit. But this I, has I'm, racism wrote all over it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <sighs> we really need to get a camera where people can just see my face. <laughs> where they could just be like, oh, he's going to say some shit here in a minute. Because I got so much shit I want to say to this. But I'm just going to say, Thomas, at no point should you have ever have had to have gone in front of a grand jury to prove your innocence. Because you're innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. 
Two, you weren't charged with anything. Three, what judge saw this? I want that judge's name and I want their information because I want to make a little phone call <laughs> to find out what judge saw this case because that judge has got to still be alive. Well, no, the before it goes to a judge, it would go to a grand jury to determine. Which is still a bunch of judges. A grand jury is a bunch of random people from the town. Okay, well, I want their names. <laughs> I want to know who said, we're going to put this in front of a grand jury with nothing and ruin this kid's life even more and stipulate this horrible notion that he's committed a murder. Well, luckily, the grand jury did realize it was all bullshit and there wasn't actually a confirmed confession. And hence why they, they dismissed through the case away and said, okay, you guys got to fucking leave him alone now. Like, do they pay him for anything? Like, do they pay him back his schooling? Is there an apology of some sort? Could you find anything like that? Uh, yeah, we cover that a little bit later. Okay, I'm sorry. I know, I know. Hold up, let's pump the brakes just for a second. Okay. Am I defending a fucking murderer? I mean, I like how I wrote this one, because you're about to find out. <sighs> so, callers, just remember all the nice things Keith just said defending this guy. Mm-hmm. You're an asshole. Yes. <sighs> Shall we continue on? I want the answer. You'll just have to wait. Oh, you're such a jerk. <laughs> that brings us to February 3rd, 2001. We're all back at Cogswell Hall at Gallaudet University, just in time for a fire alarm going off. As the RA was doing the checks to make sure the students cleared out of the building, he came across the room of 19-year-old Benjamin Varner, lifeless and on the ground. The room was a mess and covered in blood. A clear struggle occurred, and it was obvious that Benjamin fought for his life. The authorities were once again notified, and everybody at the university was in disbelief that a second murder occurred in the same dorm building within a matter of months. Benjamin's autopsy revealed that he had been stabbed several times in the head, chest, and neck. One of his lungs had collapsed, his throat was slit, and the knife penetrated his skull. Holy fuck. That's just crazy. That that takes a lot of force, I would feel, to put a knife through somebody's head. Oh, for sure, for sure. Just just based on uh, you know, past cases and all the documentaries, this This sounds like a crime of passion. Yes, it screams crime of passion. And, and so did Eric's. Right. Just just with a, a essentially overkill. Does Benjamin know something about the first case? As, as far as, like, he, he knows that Eric was murdered. Remember, they all were all at the right, table but I'm saying, in the cafe. Like, does Benjamin find out something that's caused him to become the target? No. Okay. Because in my mind, I think, oh, whoever killed Eric finds out that Benjamin knows information about who killed Eric. Benjamin comes forward and is, like, talking to that friend, you know, and just being like, hey, I think I might have found out who did this and not saying anything, like, not naming names. You know what I mean? Right. And it causes him to become a target. I'm I'm pretty sure later it will be revealed that uh, the motivation behind these crimes is uh, robbery, money, okay. greed. Okay. So it's unfortunate circumstance. Unlike Eric's murder... This time, the suspect left some evidence behind. The police noticed a blood trail leading away from the room, indicating that the killer was injured in the process. 
They also found a bloody shoe print. And if I recall correctly, it was of a Nike something or another. Oh, so you gotta love the shoes that leave, like, the name of the shoe in right. the dirt or whatever. Not instead of, like, getting shoes there, just nothing specific. It's just, mm-hmm. who knows what it is. See all you rich-ass people <laughs> getting your nice shoes. Don't murder nobody. They're gonna know you did it. Right. After more searching, the police uncovered a bloodstained jacket and the knife located in a trash bin next to the dorm. That's a horrible place to put it all. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I'm murdering somebody, I'm not just being like, oh, there's the trash. Let me dump it right there. Right, yeah. And like, uh, you would have to assume that the police would uh, at least Look walk outside. Ooh, my bad. I'm knocking shit around. <laughs> According to the crime scene, the attacker had been injured in the attack. So the police kept an eye out for any student with newly acquired injuries. They also kept an eye on Benjamin's bank accounts, considering his checkbook had gone missing. So, I guess I I forgot to highlight this with uh, keeping an eye out on any student with newly acquired injuries. Uh, The police firmly believed that the murderer of both these cases was a student, as you needed a special key card to get into the dorm because it's private. Security. Yeah, and security. Most colleges do that. Yeah. And since it didn't look like there was a, a forced entry, they just assumed that it was a... It had to be somebody that had access to the dorm room. And that knew them. Right. And I don't think the teachers even have access to the dorm rooms. Yeah, I don't know. I So, like, I remember a few times that I had visited colleges and thought about, like, living there. Number one, you had to, like, sign in if you didn't have, like, a dorm. Number two, if you did have a dorm, and they used to talk about this, you would have to have your key card with you. You couldn't ever lose it. It was so much money to replace it, yada, yada, yada. But a lot of them, they didn't even allow the professors to have a key card because, like, the professor, it wasn't for the professors to come find you and do things like that. They were treated like everybody else. You, If you weren't living in the dorm, you weren't getting into that dorm. Right, right. And, and they said it was all for safety, which I wholeheartedly agree with. There should be some kind of safety. And in cases like this, kind of narrows down the possibility of suspects. Yeah, completely agree. I do want to hit on the police are like, we need to look for anybody with injuries where they, in my mind, it's just kind of comical because I'm <laughs> like, how are they going around? Pull up your shirt. Let me see. <laughs> you know, just a dumb, dumb things because I feel like that would be the quickest and easiest way of doing it. But how far is a police officer able to go before you've like violated somebody's right? Well, as we learned earlier from you defending someone, they apparently had no qualm about doing shit. Right. They did not care. But I am curious of how far a police officer can technically go before they have violated rights when it comes to searching somebody in a murder investigation. Right, right. The bank records indicated that a check was recently cashed. The authorities knew it wasn't Benjamin, so they asked the bank for the surveillance tape of when that individual came in and cashed that check along with a copy of the check itself. Why take the copy of the check? I mean, for... Were you trying to recash it later on? (laughs) Tangible evidence, I'm assuming. Uh, Yeah, let me guess. Their surveillance tapes are about as good as any other surveillance area? No, after viewing the surveillance tape, they knew who the culprit was, and it was... Joseph Mesa Jr. Yes. I feel so vindicated right now (laughs) that I defended Thomas that whole time. Poor, poor Thomas didn't do shit. And it was the dude that called it in. Just wait till later. You're 
You'll enjoy this. You'll enjoy this script. <sighs> I have loved every bit of this moment. I just need a second to relish. Yeah. I was right. It's okay to be right. <laughs> Police eventually caught up with Mesa and arrested him. During interrogation, they found out that he had some they found that he had some fresh wounds on his body and fingerprints that matched those found in Benjamin's dorm room. Mesa knew he was caught. During the interview, he said, quote, To be honest with you, I did it. Mesa also admitted to entering Eric's room, choking him, and beating him to death with a chair before stealing his wallet. But why? What do you mean, but why? But why do all of that? He, he wanted money. Get a job. I mean, I... I'm assuming he could, as far as deaf kids go. I don't know how hard it is to to quit get a job when you're... You would think that the school would have jobs there for them, you know, or no... Like, because this is in Washington, you would think that they would be able to set them up somewhere to become successful while they're in college. I I completely agree. And we know, from the very top, we know that two very famous people come from this. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like he's incapable. No, I agree. I, I guess it was just easier to to murder and steal than uh. So he won. He was like the cops. He did the easy thing instead of the right thing. Yeah, I mean that is the best way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Take me to trial, please. All right. Let's do some trial time. Woohoo! Okay. Try to control the laughter on this one. During the bail hearing, Mesa's attorney argued that he should be released without bail considering he had no criminal record and had a history of community service. Okay. <laughs> Assuming the judge looked at him with a, wow, you're fucking stupid look, decided <laughs> to decline bail, which meant Massa would sit in jail while waiting for the trial to start. He He's a good kid, I promise. Right. He did, listen, he did a lot of community service. Yeah, I understand, like, he murdered two people and everything, but he did build the Rhodes Garden out near Lincoln's Memorial. Right, so we you don't gotta hold him. Right, like, we could just let him go a little bit. Like, maybe... Oh, so stupid. Maybe we just, like, you know, don't keep him in a cell. Right. Maybe, maybe we just keep him in a room with with other other deaf kids, but, but make sure he has a knife in his hand, just in case. I don't know. What if he has to spread butter right. on his toes? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some of y'all need to get better lawyers, because if that was the best defense he's gotten for you, oh God, I can't wait. Pure, pure sweet justice is about right to be served, (laughs) because your defense attorney is a fucking idiot. Already shown that at the bail hearing. Right. So, at the trial, Massa went with the, you guessed it, the insanity plea. How? We have had one case. One. Out of the now three seasons that insanity could be truly used, you weren't insane. <laughs> are, are you going to claim that because you were deaf, that that makes you insane? Well, during the research... If you say a yes comes out of your mouth. No, 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 no. During the research, one thing he claimed is that these gloves that he had from um, The Undertaker, the professional wrestler The Undertaker told him to do it. The gloves were like sock puppet to him. Kill! Kill! Are you fucking kidding me? I wish I was. I'm the right hand puppet. And I'm the left hand puppet. (laughs) 
But today, boys and girls, we're going to spell kill. K-I-L-L. Kill. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Did Elmo pop up? Ha, 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 ha. That's murder. <laughs> like, what kind of fucking shit? I know, I know. That's about as good as saying, I touched Michael Jackson's gloves, now I need to touch children. <laughs> that same premise, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, better one, I didn't kill her, but if I had, <laughs> I wouldn't have worn these gloves. If I'd done it. Okay, okay. So, this got him examined by multiple psychiatrists. The prosecution... No shit, it's gonna get you... Take it into multiple psychiatrists. You think you got Saki Puppet 1 and 2 talking to you? Right. Did The Undertaker have to come to court? No. Because I feel like this would be enough to be like, oh, now he's got to come to court. What if that was the end fucking goal the whole time? (laughs) They just want, he wanted to meet his fucking hero. That'd be fucked up way to go about it, but yeah. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Keep going. So, the prosecution psychiatrist found him to be depressed and antisocial, but sane. However, the defense's psychiatrist said that he suffered from a rare condition known as intermittent explosive disorder, and therefore could not have controlled his actions. I think I would be a little sad and a little antisocial too if I just murdered two people. (laughs) And then you're going to come at me with intermittent explosive disorder? What?! So I can't control my emotions just once in a while? So, for those of you wondering what IED is, well, according to the mayoclinic.org website, intermittent explosive disorder involves repeated sudden episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent behavior or angry verbal outbursts in which you react grossly out of proportion to the situation. Now, what cracked me up as an example of that was road rage. Oh, do I have a disorder and I don't know it? Fucking 95% of America has it, the fucking disorder then. This this podcast might be my IED. <laughs> because I get real angry real quick. <laughs> I'm just going to call it. This is such a bullshit disorder. It's a bunch of Bali, yeah. You, you experienced a human emotion and so now you're going to call it a disorder. It's not a disorder. You got mad at an appropriate time about something. But I think it's more about the reacting grossly out of proportion to the situation. Sometimes you got to get crazy to get the crazy. <laughs> In the words of the famous Medea, sometimes you got to get the godders before the godders don't get got you. Right, yeah. Follow that one. Right. Please don't. That'll probably end you up in prison. <laughs> So, you know, something I did want to point out on this one, you know how lie detectors' results aren't admissible in court? 100%. I think this is a bunch of bull that, okay, prosecution had their psychiatrist, and they said exactly what the prosecution wanted. Right. And the defense psychiatrist evaluated him and said exactly what What the the defense wanted. And I feel like in this situation... What's the fucking point of having them? Right. I feel like they're purposely using terms, though... To justify this, when I really think, they can say, oh, it's you react grossly out of proportion to a situation. But what is reacting grossly out of proportion? Just because you wouldn't act that way to a situation doesn't mean that that isn't a normal response for somebody else. True apples are not the same apple. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And all that is 
bullshit and irrelevant because later down the road, Mesa writes his girlfriend admitting he's going to fake insanity and use phony insanity plea to fight this this uh, charge. And, and I'm fully saying all of this as somebody that like has 100% confidence and respect for psychologists and therapists. Like I have respect for them. But don't come in and gaslight everybody into some bullshit and try to call it the right defense. Definitely. And also don't use it on the opposite side as the prosecution and try to convince the jury, oh, well, it's this. No, like, he's not crazy. He's doing it because he wants to. Like, this this case really highlighted for me is, like, I know, should psychiatrists' testimony be allowed? I it, To an extent, yeah, because we saw it with, like, Amber Heard. But prosecution is going to say what fucking prosecution like, team what, wants yeah, you to say. Right, whoever the, the expert is, they're going to say whatever Yeah, whoever saying. hires the, the psychiatrist, that you're going to get the results of. Right. You would just think that... Because there's, like, the medical, like, standard that everybody holds themselves to. I can't think of the name of it now. Um, That, like, all medical professionals have to do. The Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, like, there's the Hippocratic Oath, and, like, even psychiatrists have to do it as well. You would think that them coming in and doing this would almost be perjury to the court because you're lying, essentially. But who's to say... That psychiatrist is lying. Right, because once again, this goes to this is their opinion on this case. Like I said before, no two apples are the same. But I I agree with you and I disagree with you on that they shouldn't be allowed to be there. But at the same time, I see that sometimes it's necessary because you get cases like episode one, we needed those there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I feel like if they're going to, I think, I I just feel like maybe there should be a punishment. If you're going to come up and lie... And openly know you're lying or making something up to make it look like this person did something that, you you know. That's perjury. That is a crime. Right. I think that they should be held as a perjury. And I think they need to have actual evidence to back up any statements they're making. So if they're saying, you know, oh, they have paranoid schizophrenia, there needs to be proof of the paranoid schizophrenia, which we saw, you know, from the first episode. Where is your proof on any of this? He's not, he's had two cases of murder, but where is the tangible proof before that and even during that that he's has that he has these like gross outbursts? There right. hasn't been any. And so now you're just lying. Right, right. And very another very interesting thing is I didn't include it because I, I just me personally I didn't know the validity of it and I didn't want to look more into it even though I should have I'm sorry it was lazy on my end but I already felt like this one was getting pretty lengthy. It's long. But one report said there isn't no official tests or anything that can test the the mental stability of a deaf and blind person. I guess when do, doing them for like a normal or not normal but a able abled individual i guess there's different tests that uh the psychiatrist can perform and they are not made for deaf and blind uh so that's almost a failure on that actually is kind of interesting though because now but yet both sides gave a conclusions so okay but let me retract my previous statement because what if he knows how to manipulate and so now this psychiatrist is telling in their mind the truth right to something because he's able to manipulate Absolutely. You know, so yeah, good on you. I I guess 
if had I known that, I don't think I would have gone into the tangent, but Oh well. Oh well, here we are. It's our podcast and our opinion. Yep. And regardless of the what the psychiatrists say. It's up to the jury. It's up to the jury. Yep. After both sides gave their closing arguments, it took the jury less than three hours to reach a verdict. Oh, you're going away. <laughs> he was found guilty on all 15 charges. Holy shit. What did he get charged for? Those charges include murder, obviously. Right. Burglary, robbery, forgery, possession of a dangerous weapon, and writing a bad check. Oh, man. They got him with anything and everything they could fucking tack onto it. Like, I'm sure if they would have seen him jaywalking across the street, they would have thrown that on there. Right. You lifted up that pen to write that check, you used <laughs> a pen. <laughs> the judge sentenced Mesa to six life terms plus 90 years. Ooh, so this judge just wasn't playing with him. He was not playing with him. He was still probably pissed off from at his lawyer from that bail hearing. Oh, God. You know that judge was still looking at that lawyer like, I should also add 90 years on to you, dude. <laughs> like, you should probably just don't come into my fucking courtroom again. I love these judges. Some of the cases that we've had where a judge has just done such a good job, I fucking love. And this is one of those where that judge is like, so, bye. <laughs> like, right. So, as a little special bonus to you, callers, and to you, Keith. Yay! Let's head back to season one theme of missed opportunities. Oh, really? Had the authorities done better police work after Eric's murder, Benjamin Varner could still be here to this day. Here are some bullet points highlighting those missed opportunities. Holy shit. Eric's wallet had been stolen, which points to a robbery as motive. They could had monitored Eric's bank account like they did with Benjamin's. Eric's debit card was used the day he died. So, right? I feel like right That there, is that, a big one. That's a big one. Because that's what caught uh, Joseph. Right, but we're was, too worried was, on Thomas. Right, but they were too focused on Thomas. Right. Mesa, who was initially interviewed after Eric's murder, had a history of debit and credit card thefts. However, the police didn't know that because no background check was done. I guess it's standard practice when when you become a, a suspect or, or a person of interest that background checks get done on you. That's, That's, is it just a standard in Washington or is this a standard everywhere? Do you I know? would imagine that it's a standard everywhere. Okay, well, all of you, if you ever become a fucking suspect, just know they're going to do a background check. Hopefully your credit ain't that bad. <laughs> Mesa was the one who went to the RA about the foul odor coming from the room. Yet nobody else interviewed noticed the smell. People would notice the smell of decomp. For sure. And I kind of brought that up at the beginning. Like, that's a horrible, horrible smell. You're yes, going to notice yes. that. And another interesting thing, I didn't know how to exactly put it in there, but I figured I would just kind of add it on as uh, when Mesa told the RA that he missed the appointment and there was this weird smell, decomp takes three to five days. It hadn't been three to five days. It had only been a day. So he should not have, have been, been smelling, smelling anything. That's why no one else noticed the smell. Oh, God. So it's as if Metza had remorse because he was aware of what he did mm -hmm. and wanted him to be found. God, I love the way you've wrote this episode. I really do. <laughs> Thank you. Detectives failed to, show, to follow up with 
any other potential suspect after interrogating Thomas Minch and finding out that him and Eric had a disagreement, which we went into a lot. Right, right. They tunnel visioned the shit out of that yeah, one. Yeah, and, and that one kind of went into the next one. I don't know why I split those up. Hey, it's all good. And finally, after Thomas was released, the new team of detectives failed to look for new clues and still focused on Thomas. Yep. Right, yeah. So after Thomas was initially charged with that bullshit and was released, they got a new bunch, a batch of uh, detectives. Which probably talked to one another. Yep, and they just were like, hey, thanks for doing all the work. We'll just keep going with this shithole and... Regarding Thomas Minch, he did file a lawsuit for the false arrest. Defamation of character and intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress. From what I've been able to research, the case had been dismissed and Thomas had filed an appeal. Other than that, we could not find any more information regarding that lawsuit. The end. The end. That was the Gallaudet University murder at Paul Guell dorms. I want every case to be like this. I mean, I wish it would come together like this. This was... I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but this was a masterpiece to me. I think I did it so freaking good. And callers, I hope you enjoyed it as well. I loved every bit of the way that this was wrote. I love that we're getting kind of back into our route of missed opportunities. I mean, that that was just kind of a of a added. There was an article on it of things that highlighting that really pointed them out. Like when we specifically were researching missed opportunities, it was kind of like that again. It I'm just, surprised this one never even came up into missed opportunities. Yeah, I just oh my gosh, no, you don't even understand how happy I am. this case was. Wild. I know that like I'm the one that looked up the cases for this season and did like that little bit. Yeah, yeah. But you still write them all, and so. Uh, I guess people don't understand. It's like, I looked them up, but then I don't remember anything that I looked up, you know, so. And, and you don't necessarily deep dive No, I don't. It's just kind of a um, I, headline I read and. Generalize it to see if it's going to fit yeah. into what we're looking for. And if it doesn't, then, you know, mind to the next one. Right, right, right. So, I guess, how do you feel about this case? It, it, was, it was sad and unfortunate. And Do you and, feel like justice was served, though? I feel justice was served. They did catch the guy. I do feel bad that this Mesa guy was able to, you know, should he, he murdered two people and managed to ruin someone's life. Because mm-hmm. after after uh, he got suspended, he never went back. That's sad. And he just uh, is trying to uh, move on with his life. I wish I had more information on Thomas to, like, give people. So if they wanted to send support or letters or something like that, just to encourage him that they could... Because really, they have ruined this guy's life. They they did. They did. And as we can tell, that's still going on. The, his life being ruined, we are now in 2022, and this happened in 2000. Yes, yes. 22 years later, his life is still ruined by shitty detective work. Yeah, yeah. Somebody owes him a lot. I mean, that's, those are years of life you're never getting back. That's why I was kind of sad during during the research, not being able to find out. I was pissed that it was initially dismissed, and he had to file an appeal. You shouldn't have. He shouldn't have to. He. They, oh God. The detectives of that police department did acknowledge that they messed up and made mistakes. So that's that's ownership right there. He, right. The the police department admitted guilt. Yeah, but how many times have we seen them admit guilt and be like, but we're not doing anything else? Right. Oh, absolutely. All the time. It sucks that you were involved, but that's on you. You know? Yeah, yeah. Thomas, just know that there are people out there and they think about you and they care about you. And if you're hearing this, 
please reach out to us. Please. Sure, we would love to hear from you. from you. That way we can get your story and your side of the story out because you are 100% a victim in this. Absolutely. You know, we had we had two murder victims, but we have another victim and I feel like he is very much being overlooked. I completely agree with that one. You know, so, sorry this one was a lot longer than normal, I feel. It was, but you know what? It I loved this episode like i loved doing this there was a lot to just unpack with each thing yeah yeah well callers if you loved it as much as keith and i did please remember to rate review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen also don't forget to follow us on the socials facebook.com slash call us dead follow us on tiktok at call us one dead where you can see some videos of the animals or pictures that are taken i got some new ones i'm gonna be adding yay I gotta get one of the cat not being able to get into the podcast room, because, God, she's mad. She is. We put put a lock on the podcast room. Yeah, but she was tearing up my chair. I like my chair. Or, of course, you know, you can see the little babies, Emma and Regina, who I've had on me since we've been recording. Or the little fur babies, Lola and Bailey, because they just love to be around. Or you can email us at... Callusdead at yahoo.com To tell us what you thought about the case. Ask questions suggest some cases or just say hi but until then remember to stay strong do everything with love no there's always hope and if you forget you can always call call us when when you're you're dead. dead